Wow, wow, wow. Thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody that supported the Bash 2020 edition. What an epic three days of basketball we had. Check out all the highlights at the Bash Hoops on social media. Final results at thebashhoops.com. And check out the broadcast of QC Broadcasting of the Bash 2020. Thank you so much. And if you haven't done it already, head on over to teachhoops.com slash 816basketball and check out all the incredible content that Coach Steve Collins has at teachhoops.com slash 816basketball. Hello and welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast brought to you by 816 Basketball. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Rosefield, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris de Blasio. Thank you, Brian. Pleasure to be here as always on the Greatest Games Podcast. A chance for us to catch up with coaches from around the country and have them tell us about their greatest game. As always, it can be their time as a head coach, a JV coach, an assistant coach, a high school coach, a college coach, coaching in Canada, just whatever game they figure to be their greatest game. That's right. That's right. We've been talking for a while about going international and then we're going quasi international here uh, for our guest today, who was an assistant in Orangeville prep. We'll hear more about that later on. We'll let him tell that story, but we're going back to the state of Michigan to East Lansing, Michigan, Michigan state university graduate assistant, Manny Dosange. Welcome to the greatest games podcast, man, Brian, Chris, it's a pleasure to be here. And I've uh, followed you guys for a few months now and uh, just an honor to be with you guys today. An honor. That is, wow. That's, he's going to be sorely disappointed, huh, Brian? <laughs> I don't know about that. I'm, <laughs> I'm honored honor. to be in your presence every, every Monday night when we record these crystal balls. <laughs> oh. but, you know, I've never told you that, but uh, I love you very much. <laughs> you certainly have it. <laughs> love it. Love it. Love it. Uh, uh, Coach, why don't you take us through your journey that's brought you um, to the Great Plains uh, all the way up to Canada and back down to the States again? Kind of tell us where you started from and how you got to where you are now. Yeah, absolutely, Chris. Um, so, you know, back in college, I was fortunate to play college um, a few hours away from home, actually in Michigan. And, uh, you know, I started my journey out at Delta College, you know, small Juco in Bay City, Michigan, uh, about four hours from home, you know, and uh, loved my time there. It was such a great experience. And, um, you know, after my freshman year at Delta College, you know, I knew I wanted to coach. You know, I, I felt like, you know, it was like the calling and I really wanted to follow it, you know. And uh, and so after my two years, you know, I decided to walk on slash be a practice player at Oral Roberts University, uh, which in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, where I was able to move on, you know. And I really wanted Division One experience. Um, you know, Paul Mills had just got on the job and he came from Baylor University, which had done incredible things. And so it was just such an intriguing opportunity that I kind of jumped on. And, um, you know, loved my time at Old Roberts. Um, unfortunately, it only lasted one year. Um, you know, I dislocated my shoulder um, in practice early in October, which let me have surgery. And long story short, I just knew that, you know, to do rehab and come back to be a walk on my senior year, you know, I, I knew it was time to kind of hang it up, you know. And um, so I left Old Roberts after my junior year, um, you know, and uh, Tony McIntyre, who's a head coach at Orangeville Prep, you know, who's a, a dear friend, a mentor, you know, one of my best friends. Um, by the grace of God, he had an opening on his staff at Orangeville. And he said, man, you know, why don't you come on home? You know, you're from here. Um, you know, you're going to be my assistant. And, uh, you know, I'm going to give you kind of all the responsibility you, you like and, uh, you know, dive into this thing. And um, so just the opportunity to learn firsthand, 
I, I jumped on it, you know, and, um, you know, did my senior year online while being a full-time coach at Orangeville. And uh, I served there for two years before um, landing here at Michigan State. Take so, us back to your freshman year, Delta College, Bay City, Michigan. You say, I just decided I had a calling. I, I felt it. I wanted to be a coach. Tell me more about that. I remember my moment yeah. <laughs> at 15 years old, but your moment, what was that moment? What was the series of moments leading up to that where you in a coffee shop and you just said, yep, I'm going to be a coach. What was it at that moment that said, yes, I'm going to do this? Yeah, absolutely, Brian. You know what I think it was, Brian? And it was during the it was during the off season. Um, it was off season going into my freshman year when we do workouts at Delta College, and my own teammates at the time, you know, would ask me if they could either hop join my workouts or work them out. You know, and I was a team captain at Delta College. Um, you know, and so I, I guess I kind of had this natural leadership trait. You know, you could per se. You know, but they would ask me to work them out or they don't want to join my workouts, you know, and that kind of got a bug rolling and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed, you know, trying to tell you why I'm doing this drill. You know, I was kind of spent a lot of gym time in the gym, kind of to earn my, you know, my role in college. Um, and then secondly, I just enjoyed watching film with our staff all the time. You know, I I'd hop into their offices and just whenever they'd be doing a scout. I'd be like, coach, like, can I sit, on, sit in on this while you guys go over this? Like, you know, and they'd ask for my opinions on their scouts. And so that was a combination there. Just, you know, just really enjoyed the scouting and film aspect. You know, it was really intriguing to be kind of a student of the game. And then my own teammates kind of sparked that in me, you know. And from there, you know, I felt like, you know, this is what I want to do for the remainder of my life. All right, Coach, I have one one uh, goofy question and one sort of serious question. Yeah. Uh, well, What's colder, Bay City or Mono, Ontario? Because they both look like they're cold just on a map. Yes. <laughs> Bay City's right on the on the lake there, but Mono's not. Which is colder? You know what, Chris? I've been snowed in in both. Uh, <laughs> I would have to go with Mono, Ontario. Okay. All oh, right. And, um, both of you guys are respected, and you guys know a ton of college coaches. Um, many of them you guys know have been up there to recruit, and you can ask them. It's in the middle of nowhere. Um, snows like crazy. It's icy like crazy. And, um, first time visitors have a hard time finding us. <laughs> now, my more serious question is we talked about your last name before we came on the air. You talked about how you're of Indian descent, your parents, I believe you said were both born in India. Um, talk about, um, maybe, I don't know what the question I want to ask is sort of you wanting to get involved in coaching and athletics, not necessarily something that's culturally associated with, you know, did you have to sit down and talk to your Indian father? I mean, this is a legitimate question. You know, what was that like? That's a great question, Chris. And you're right on, you know, um, kind of in the, in the cultural background, you know, they want you to be a lawyer, you know, they want you to be a doctor, they want you to be an engineer, you know, and um, they came to Canada because they want, a better life and they want their kids to go on and do the same, you know? And, and um, my parents in the beginning, you know, it, it, I felt like growing up, I kind of did have those pressures where, you know, you're, you're kind of expected to go down a certain line that's quote unquote kind of professional in their books, you know, back then, but it really just took an honest conversation, you know, um, while I was in college and they knew my passion for the game because, you know, I really wanted to play at the college level and I had to really, kind of work my way to get there. And they saw that, how much I invested in that. And I think when they seen how much I invested into being a player, 
um, they felt like it was kind of a natural transition in me and something that would allow me to wake up every day with a purpose and be happy, you know, rather than, you know, a, a really established salary. So speaking of purpose and waking up every day as a GA, I want you to take us into your life and you can get as personal as you want, but what is it like a being a GA B why are you there? And what have you already learned in your short time at Michigan state? Yeah. GA man. Uh, you know, you hear about all the time, you know, Chris and Brian and, uh, it's every bit of the grind that they say it is, you know, and, um, but it's honestly, it's one of the best roles in my opinion. And, you know, and the reason I say that is, you know, you're, you're pretty much a junior coach is what you are. Um, you know, you spend time on the floor with the players, you know, you help in scouts. Um, you're a part of film breakdown, you know, you watch film with the guys, um, you know, and the only difference is, you know, you're not really getting paid anything, you know, which, which is totally fine, you know, but it's, it's really just about, it's a huge learning deal. You know, and um, I think one thing that I, I learned the most, you know, at Michigan State and, you know, Coach Izzo speaks about it all the time is, you know, he talks about players who like the game, um, that love the game and who live the game, you know, and it really just opened my eyes to, you know, how successful one can be if they really live this game, you know, and um, just seeing the work ethic of our staff every day. Um, seeing the work ethic of some of our players who have professional um, aspirations, you know, seeing the way they go about their day every day, you know, really kind of opened my eyes to, you know, kind of what it takes, you know, to kind of be above the standard. Uh, I completely forgot the question I was going to ask you. <laughs> that is a first in this podcast. Um, you left him speechless, man. You did. You left me speechless. <laughs> um Talk about, I loved your answer there. You said you, oh, I know what it was. You said you don't get paid much or you don't get paid and getting paid in the experiences. It might not be more a question, just a mini story. I would set up conference at UCLA when I was in college and it was about getting into the entertainment industry, film, television, stuff like that. I was looking into doing things like that. And we had a, a guest speaker, a guy who was a famous actor. You would recognize him from roles anyway. And he said, if you want to get involved in a career that everybody thinks is glamorous, that everybody wants to be involved in. You have to be willing to work for free right. when you first start out. And, you know, to see Brian and I sometimes lament that younger people maybe don't understand that, but it's clear you have an understanding of that. Like your, your payments 10 years down the road from what you're doing now. Right. Right. How do you reconcile that? Like, how do you like, you know, the, you know, the days you're like, I can't really go out with the fellas. I gotta, I just don't have money to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All the time, you know, and I think it's kind of business where first and foremost, you know, um, it's a profession where the demand is higher than the supply per se. You know, there's a lot of people that want to get into college coaching, but there's only 353 head coaches in, the, in, in North America and there's only 1000 something assistant coaches and, and that's it. You know, there's not going to be more than that. And so when you're in a profession like this, you know, where it's just so ultra competitive and a lot of it is not even in your control, you know, as much as people think it is, you know, and you hear about it all the time where opportunities arise, um, you know, how people are able to get their foot in. I mean, so much, you don't control and so when you kind of put all these factors in um you almost have to be willing to work for free 
you know, cause your chances are already slim, you know, and everybody works hard, you know, so that's out the window. I mean, that's a prerequisite. And so if you're not willing to kind of work every day, um, you know, kind of from your heart, um, your chances are kind of next to none, you know, to really do this for the rest of your life. Truer words have never been spoken. The demand far, far outweighs the supply. Or wait, is it? Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm an econ major, right? Yeah, no, I, didn't, I never took a business class in my life. I don't <laughs> hey, I was a little, I was a little nervous when I said that because I didn't know what order it was. But, yeah, but, but you're right. I mean, but you're right. Everybody works hard. If that, if that's not if that's not in your repertoire, just go ahead and, and head out the door. And uh, it's just something that. I don't know. Like we all love it. And so we're going to stick it out. We're going to stick it out. And uh, I just, I just love being able to kind of live vicariously through you back in those GA shoes and just working your tail off and film breakdown and all that stuff on the floor. It's just a, it's a thrill. And I know you're enjoying every moment of it, but uh, let's go ahead and move on to the, the, the creme de la creme as, as it were here to the greatest game that you've ever been a part of. Give us as much background information as you want to, and tell us why this game is so special to you, Manny. Yeah, absolutely, Brian. And, you know, like I said, I've, I've listened to your guys' podcast before, and there's been some great games on here, you know. Um, so I'm not sure if my greatest game kind of lines up to that. But, you know, I, I think there's a message that comes out of it. And I think my greatest games so far would be, you know, the, the Bill Crothers Championship game where we won um, our Ontario Championship, which is kind of equivalent to a state championship last year at Orangeville. And uh, we capped off a perfect season, 22-0. Uh, and 0. Uh, had seven guys move on to a Division One level. Um, and, you know, and the thing about that is what makes it kind of sweet is, you know, back home in Canada, you know, Orangeville kind of plays with Target on their back. You know, when we play in the States, everybody supports us. And, but back home, you know, we, we, we almost sell out in all the tournaments because people want to see us play. And, you know, there's not, they kind of want to see a little upset, you know, because we are, we are talented and, you know, and we, they do get opportunities. And so I was just so happy for our core guys that came uh, back, uh, had lost a year before. And um, yeah, so March 8th, just, uh, you know, two prep schools really going at it. They, they were, uh, Bill Crothers is a great program. They had three or four guys as well who moved on to the college level. And, um, you know, it was my first championship as a coach. You know, and uh, looking back at it, um, you know, and the reason why I felt like it was just so special is just because, you know, Orangeville was my Kentucky. You know, Orangeville was my Duke, per se, you know, and it, it really felt like, I, I remember it really felt like I won a national championship when that buzzer went off, you know, and it was just because, you know, so many coaches would come through the doors at Orangeville to recruit our guys over two years, and you know, as a young coach, when I first got into it, it was kind of just like, coach, like, you know, what would your advice be to make in this thing? You know, and it was always like, you got to be two feet in, you know, and so, and that was kind of the message that I ran with, you know, every day at Orangeville, you know, um, I wasn't just an assistant for prep school, you know, I, I was, an, I was a Duke assistant at Orangeville, you know, and that's kind of how I went about my job, you know, and I think that's just so important for any young coaches, you know, that are kind of still trying to figure this thing out, you know, just the value of the high school or prep level, you know, if you're just two feet in and you kind of do your best job, you know, so wasn't anything overly great, you know, compared to, like I said, other stories I've heard, but, you know, just winning a state championship and it just kind of, it meant so much just because, you know, of all the hours you put in with the guys preparing them for that moment. So this was the game against Bill Crothers, I yep. believe. 
Yeah. So you said it's March 8th, 2020. Mm-hmm. You guys had un- been undefeated. You lost the year before. Um, I- I'd be remiss if I didn't ask this question. You know, early March in 2020 is going to go down in history as a really, really strange time in this world. Were you guys nervous that you might not be able to finish the season because everything that was going on with the coronavirus and all that? Was was there a a thought about that? Yeah, Chris, you know what? It had just started. Um, COVID had just, the word had just started getting out that week, you know, that's kind of getting real, you know, and um, just by the grace of God, you know, I'm just thankful that he had in his plans for us to finish up the year um, just because, you know, you put so much work into it. Um, but it had just started getting there, you know, but we had it quite hit it just, you know, how it became literally a week or two later. Yeah. Cause I know state championships here in New Jersey that we got shut down and there were teams that didn't get to finish off, you know, historic seasons they were having. And so you, you were, you won the year or you lost the year before you had a big team coming back, you know, undefeated. What's that pressure like? You know, as the assistant coach and the coaching staff, how do you relieve that pressure on the team? Or, or do you, like you said, I mean, you were the Duke, the Kentucky, but, you know, that pressure to remain undefeated and go through undefeated, how do you handle that as a coach? Yeah, I, I think the way we handled it, Chris, was making the focus everything but that. You know, um, it was each game was holding our opponents, you know, under a certain score. You know, each game was about targeting a certain amount of assists for that game. You know, each game was about, you know, something that we call kills, where it's pretty universal. Three stops in a row is a kill, you know, where we wanted to get, you know, eight or nine kills that game. You know, and so each game was just a different target we set for our guys, where we kind of took their focus off winning, per se. You know, and just because we knew that if they take care of these things, you know, the scoreboard will take care of itself. And, you know, naturally, because kids these days are so smart and, you know, you guys both, you know, work at respective high schools and you know how that is, you know, I mean, they're so smart, they pick up on everything. And so they knew at the end of the day, we were trying to keep our record of, you know, staying undefeated, but just trying to keep them away from that just by setting different goals per game. I love that. The game within the game. I had a sports psychologist tell me that a few years ago, just being able to create those scenarios for kids that are just scoreboard watching like, well, no, 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 let's, let's break it down. Just break it down. And I love the three kills, the the three stops in a row. And um, I think that's a, that's a, that's a wonderful thing. The game itself here, we've actually found a stat sheet here. The group that you guys had, uh, first of all, one of your wins is, was against one of my, uh, my, my, well, my Ridgeview guys here at the Bojangles bash, but we won't bring, we won't bring that up. I'll edit that part out. I think that that game does deserve a moment because although um, Bill Cars may have been my greatest game, that game against Ridgeview at Bojangles Bash may have been the funnest. Really? And for those that don't know the the Bojangles Bash, I mean, you know, Brian's done a great job with that tournament. I mean, it's the elite of the elite, you know. I mean, you, it's you're fortunate to experience that as a high school prep coach, you know. And um, you can go online and look up the Bojangles Bash. I mean, a sold-out crowd of Ridgeview on opening night. Um, fans going crazy. I still remember a kid you guys had, I believe number two, his last name was Scott. I may be mistaken, Brian. Is, was, is that right? Anyhow, kid was pulling from like half court, man. Four uh, yeah. threes that uh, game. Yeah, how can I forget? Yeah, that's sincere. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Bridgeview crowd going absolutely crazy. It's the opening night, the Bojangles bash. I mean, 
if you're at prep school, get the experience. It. I mean, Bojangles is great, and you do a good job with, with that. And then, and then, obviously, before and after the game, all the Bojangles you can eat. Oh yeah. man! Uh, just, let's yeah. <laughs> Listen, I haven't had it since. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you, you eat your fill that week, and you know we were talking. <laughs> Uh, talking off the air, you know, this, this, this one will, will post right after the bash has, has ended for, for this year, but Bojangles not sponsoring this year. Love them to death. They did a, such a great job and hopefully maybe they'll come back as a sponsor after we're out of this pandemic, but you're right. It's such a, a special event, but, but your, your guys, a team led by Matthew Alexander Moncrief, um, looking at this stat sheet, he goes for 19 and 12. They have a kid, Kobe Elvis, that goes for 30. Now it looks like he's at DePaul, 13 or 14 from the free throw line. So loads of talent on that floor. So my question is more about just Canadian basketball and the destination that really is Orangeville Prep. So tell our listeners more about just how big of a deal basketball is in Canada right now. Yeah, it's definitely grown a lot, you know, and um, it, it's no secret that kind of hockey is what Canada's known for, you know, and. It, it just kind of shows you the power of this sport, you know, when, when it, it kind of brings excitement to a city. Um, and I would even take it back to like, like the Vince Carter days for Toronto Raptors, you know, that's when people really started watching basketball, you know, when, when Vince Carter brought excitement to the city with his dunks and the Raptors became the first Canadian NBA team. And so all the kids that are playing now, um, you know, kind of, it kind of started with that, you know, and that's where, you know, those kids that were maybe five, six, seven, eight years old at that time, you know, they're the ones that eventually became Division One players in Canada. And then the ones that ended the NBA, you know, like Andrew Wiggins, um, you know, Tristan Thompson, um, you know, you, you hear about a lot of them now. I mean, we, we're right behind the United States with the most international players, you know, but I would credit the things like that, that just brought excitement. And, um, you know, before you knew it, you know, everybody wanted, wanted a basketball one down their driveway. You know, just because the excitement that the Toronto Raptors brought in the early 2000s. Yeah, no, it's that's a that's a really interesting. I'd like actually like to track that. That's really interesting. That the excitement that Vince Carter brought winning that slam dunk contest and really elevating that franchise. That's a really Boy, someone, some sports writer should write a book about that because Canadian basketball, you're right, has absolutely exploded. R.J. Barrett and, you know, all these all these guys. Back in the day, it was just Steve Nash was the only Canadian guy, right? <laughs> yeah, like ever since then, you know, so guys that stop playing now, they come back with their college and pro experience and they get back to the city and, you know, the coaching kind of improved. Uh, people started investing more in the sport. And, uh, you know, now it's, you know, kids just it's, it's right up there with hockey. You know, kids kids love to play basketball and they see the opportunity, you know, to go on to play at the Division One, Division Two level. And, you know, it's definitely taking a big rise. All right. So, Coach, we're going to end here on the final question. I'm going to modify it a little bit. You're listening to the podcast. So you sort of know the question coming. But I'm going to say, what is your favorite sort of quote to maybe tell players when you're talking to them? Or, you know, I know the famous Tom Izzo quote is, uh, players play, tough players win. You know, what's something you find yourself maybe saying to players like that time and time again? Yeah, you know, it's something that I kind of naturally always kind of told our guys, you know, without even knowing, and they used to make fun of me about it after. But, you know, it was kind of just a two words, you know, stay true. You know, that's what always, that's all I say to our guys before the game, you know, maybe at the end of practice. And, you know, what I meant for that was whatever your goal is and whatever you want to accomplish, like stay true to that, 
You know, like if you really want to play the division one level, you know, you have to stay true to putting in time in the gym. You know, if you really can't fake want, it, right. You can't fake it. You know, and if you want to be an engineer, you got to stay true to the process of becoming an engineer, you know, and if you're not staying true, you can't get mad at the results that if you don't achieve what you set out to. You know, you know what's what's really funny about that, uh, Coach, is you're at Michigan State now. I'm a, I'm a Tom Izzo lover. I mean, who, if you coach basketball, doesn't love Coach Izzo and, you know, always followed his teams. And about 10 years ago, he had a young man named Delvin Rowe. I don't know if you know this. Uh, and Delvin Rowe was wanted to be an actor. And, uh, and he, he, when he enrolled in school, he was a scholarship basketball player, I mean, great all American high school player and enrolled in the theater program there at Michigan state university, I believe had some knee injuries and his ultimate goal was to become an actor, which he's now done professionally for a decade. And his senior year, he wound up not playing because he wanted to focus on acting. His knees had been bad and torn up. So, even though he was a great baseball player, you know, he, he had a goal in mind that he wanted to achieve and he stayed true to that goal. And I could imagine coach Izzo was, you know, just as uh, pleased to see Delvin go on to do that with his life as any guy he sent to play professional basketball. Wow. I did not know that one, Chris. Yeah. You could ask, ask coach about it or one of the assistants about Delvin Rowe. I'm going to ask him first thing in the morning about that. Cause that's a pretty cool story. You know, um, that I think even some of our guys can maybe benefit from hearing, you know, mm-hmm. which, you know, there's life beyond this basketball, although, you know, that's all kind of, it seems like, like, you know, their journey right now, but I mean, that's, a, that's an incredible story. I'll definitely look up more up on that. <laughs> that's that's just, super neat. It's such a, a tough balance to strike though. Right. Because we're around, I mean, listen, I'm, I think I'm as guilty as anybody here trying to build a, a worldwide nationally recognized event and, bring in great players and great teams and it's basketball, it's basketball, it's basketball. But then you hear a story like that. It's like, well, wait a minute. Yeah, it's basketball, but Hey, there's a lot more to it than just basketball sometimes. And sometimes it's just basketball, but sometimes it's not all the time. It's not. And so um, I think that's, that's great, but I love those words. Stay true. And I tell you what, um, no better time in in the world right now than to stay true to yourself because there's a lot, there's a lot going on, but uh, I tell you, uh, like we were talking pre-show Manny, uh, this episode is, is going to help a lot of people. And, and, and I've just been encouraged by being able to connect with you again this way here. And you've helped me. And like I said, you've helped a lot of people with this. So we just can't thank you enough for coming on the show with us. It's been great. Man, like I said, guys, the honor is truly mine, you know, and uh, I know you guys are going to continue to do great things with this. And, uh, you know, the students you guys touch every day, your respective high schools are fortunate, man. So I appreciate you guys. We, we appreciate that. We wish y'all nothing but the, but the best this season and, and, and the hope for a full season. But uh, we'll go ahead and just wrap this episode up here. For my co-host, Chris de Blasio, I am Brian Rosefield. And thank you for listening to this episode of The Greatest Game.